Hey, welcome to Big Happy Life, the show that's all about making conscious choices about your habits so that achieving your goals becomes easier, more fun, and you enjoy yourself more along the way. I'm your host, Natalie Britt, and this week we're looking at what happens in the brain when you experience pleasure or contentment or all the positive things we associate with happiness. One of the most difficult questions to answer in the world is what is happiness? So rather than trying to work it out philosophically, one of the easier ways to consider it is to think about what's actually happening in our brains and bodies when we experience it. Because that takes a little bit of the subjectivity out of it. It helps us look at the trends and the patterns. You know, what's happening in most people most of the time when they experience happiness. And then with that information, we could start looking at our own habits and think, if I do more of this, will I experience more pleasure, more happiness, more contentment? Using that information, we can make changes in our lives and hopefully experience something more rewarding. So in this episode, we're looking at four neurochemicals or brain chemicals. I'm just going to call them brain chemicals rather than neurotransmitters or hormones because some of them are neurotransmitters, some of them are hormones, some of them are hormones that act like neurotransmitters, some of them are believed to be neurotransmitters by some people and believed to be hormones by other people, so we're just not going to open that can of worms. We're going to call them brain chemicals. The four that we're going to look at are dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins. And each of them plays a different role in our experience of pleasure and happiness. Far from being a science lesson, this episode is really just about providing a basic understanding of what these four chemicals do, how they affect your behavior and how you feel, and what implications that has for how you set your life up and the things you focus on and do in order to feel happier. Understanding these four chemicals helps you get a sense of why technology might be robbing you of your happiness, why you feel better when you exercise, and why having people you can hug makes a difference to your happiness. So we'll start with dopamine. Dopamine is a wily little mischief maker. I say that because although dopamine makes a very important contribution to the way our brains experience happiness and the way we experience pleasure, it can also get in the way of us enjoying some of the other, more stable experiences associated with happiness. Dopamine promotes novelty-seeking and reward-seeking behavior. In evolutionary terms, it played a really important role because it's the chemical that would grab our attention and go, hey, look over there, that's a berry we haven't tried before. Maybe we can eat the berry. So that kind of arrested attention, stopping you in your tracks and getting you to look at the new thing, anticipate how rewarding it could be and stop what you're doing to go and seek it out, had massive survival implications. Assuming you could in fact eat the berry. Otherwise, probably not. But even then, massive survival implications for everybody else. But of course, when you think about something that does that to your brain in the world we live in today, you can see how problematic it has the potential to become. Hey, look over here, you've got a new text message. Wait, something's happening on Instagram. Ooh, somebody's just liked your post on Facebook. Hey, you just got a new email. Ooh, your friend's just logged onto the video game. You could play that now. Is that chocolate cake I smell? If you've ever seen the movie Up, dopamine is the thing that goes, squirrel! So that kind of arrested attention, stopping you in your tracks, is problematic in itself, but it gets worse. Until recently, dopamine was associated with pleasure. So we thought that it fired when you experienced pleasure. But more recent studies suggest it's actually the anticipation that makes dopamine fire, which means once you've experienced the thing you thought was going to be pleasurable, dopamine stops firing and you need another hit, which means it's time to move to another new thing. Again, when you think about it in evolutionary terms, it's not that problematic because those new things weren't coming along as often as they do in our world today. But when you think about dopamine working in this way to go, ooh, that thing could make you feel better, try that. Oh, it didn't work? 
do something else or do it again. It'll work next time. And so that constant driving for new and more and faster can keep you stuck in that loop. If you listened to episode two, you might be familiar with the term hedonic treadmill, where you do these things that you expect to experience pleasure from, and they ultimately feel unrewarding. So you have to do something more or you have to do something again. That's dopamine. It's thought to be behind many addictive behaviors, addictions to technology, addictions to sex, alcohol, drugs, food. Now, of course, with many of those addictions, there are other factors at play. It's not just dopamine, but it's important to recognize the role that dopamine could play in getting to the point where those things have enough of a hook in you to become addictive. And certainly with addictions to things like technology, where there's no other substance involved, you probably are looking at somebody who then is a bit too reactive to that pull of dopamine. The next three chemicals we look at last longer in the system and provide a different type of stimulus. The next one we look at is serotonin. The effects of serotonin are more subtle than the effects of dopamine. It's more associated with contentment than it is with excitement or stimulation. It's sometimes called the happy chemical because it appears to play a part in mood regulation and low levels of serotonin are associated with depression. But what's not really clear at this point is whether you end up depressed because you've got low serotonin levels or whether you end up with low serotonin levels as a result of being depressed. Either way, when you have too little of it, you don't feel great. When levels of serotonin are low, of course, you end up with low mood, but also things that are affected are you have trouble sleeping, you have reduced memory function, you tend to experience pain more easily, and you crave sweet and starchy foods. That last one makes a lot of sense when you think about the fact that although serotonin is referred to as a brain chemical, its building blocks actually start in the gut. So some of the foods you eat cause chemical reactions that actually cause the body to produce serotonin. And in the absence of those chemical reactions, you end up with less of it. We'll talk a little more about that in next week's episode, which is all about how to increase your serotonin levels without taking antidepressants. If you can't wait that long, a few of the highlights, sleep, exposure to natural light, and a brain healthy diet are three of the things we'll be talking about next week. The next chemical to talk about is oxytocin. This one is sometimes referred to as the love hormone. It's responsible for connection and bonding, and it's associated with the bond between mother and infant. That absolute rush of love you get, that's oxytocin. And the cool thing about it is that it actually changes the way genes are expressed. In other words, it changes the way your genes perform in your body. So the effects of it can literally last for years, which when you consider toddler behavior, is probably quite useful. And any physical contact for long enough can top up oxytocin. So all those gorgeous cuddles and lovely hugs you have with your kids, your partner, your friends, all of those have the capacity to release oxytocin. And therefore, the more contented physical contact you experience, the more likely it is that those levels of oxytocin stay topped up. I remember reading a few years back in a parenting book that you should hug your child a minimum of 12 times a day. And it's probably something to do with this release of oxytocin. So they experience this contentment and it kind of stimulates that brain healthy sense of contentment that comes from physical connection with a loved one. That type of physical connection can also lift the mood and therefore can also boost levels of serotonin. Then finally, we have endorphins. The word endorphins comes from endogenous, meaning in the body, and morphine, which is an opiate or pain reliever. So endorphins are natural pain relievers. If you're someone who already takes care of your fitness, then the likelihood is you're familiar with endorphins. But what you may not know is that not only do they reduce pain, they also kind of cycle back in to release extra dopamine, which means they are heightening pleasure at the same time. So that can explain concepts like the runner's high, that kind of buzz and real pleasure you get after doing exercise. 
Endorphins fire during times of stress and pain and also during activities like eating and sex. So when you think about the fact that endorphins are released as a natural painkiller, it's easier to understand how something like overeating and the discomfort that comes with that could ultimately end up with a pleasure sensation associated with it and could cause you to do it again. And perhaps may explain behaviors like S&M or self-harm and how we experience pleasure as a result of pain because the brain chemistry can support that sort of link. And endorphins aren't just linked to physical pain, they also can alleviate social pain, which again, when you think about it in evolutionary terms, makes sense, because people who were able to overcome social anxiety, to stick together, to work in groups, increased their chances of survival. And since humans naturally seek pleasure and avoid pain, it makes sense that this loop is created. So when you're experiencing pain and endorphins are released, it can loop back in, you can experience pleasure and you can push through the pain barrier, be that physical or social. So those are the four chemicals most commonly associated with pleasure, with pain relief and with contentment, all things required to experience happiness. In a world where we lived with few distractions and we lived and worked in small communities or tribes, this system worked perfectly. But in a modern world where we could literally go days or weeks without interacting physically with another person, in a world where safeguarding rules make it impossible for a teacher to hug a child, and where our friendships are giving us little hits of dopamine because we are experiencing them via Facebook or Instagram instead of in person, we're robbing ourselves of the chance to release serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins. So what this basic understanding of these four chemicals allows us to do is to look at our habits and consider how much time are we spending giving ourselves little dopamine hits instead of allowing serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins to give us a much more balanced, longer-lasting feeling of contentment because we're hugging each other, talking to each other, eating the right foods, sleeping well, and exercising. The more balance we have across these activities, the better we're likely to feel. Now this probably isn't news, but hopefully what this episode does is it tells you a little bit about why this stuff works, and also gives you a sense of what might get in your way. So having listened to this, if you think actually dopamine is a big player in your life and you are novelty-seeking, reward-seeking consistently to get that hit after hit after hit, but it's robbing you of the chance to spend the time you need to spend in order to experience some of the others, then you can start looking at your habits and assess what would you add, what would you change, what would you stop, so that you ultimately end up feeling more contented. As always, you can post your comments and questions on the show notes page, and you'll find that at bighappylife.blog. Next week, we're focusing on how to increase serotonin levels through your activities and your habits. For now, though, thanks for listening. 